Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. I am doing my very best to maintain my cool today because it's the much anticipated return of my friend and widely recognized rock star CEO, Alan Mulally, named one of the world's most influential people by Time Magazine and Chief Executive of the Year by Chief Executive Magazine. Today, he's kindly taking us through his part two of his working together approach with his most cherished relationships, that is his lovely family. Alan, I am grateful to you for joining me. Welcome. Hi, Molly. I'm really glad to be back with you for part two. Yeah, this is going to be total awesome, awesomeness. Uh, so for listeners, um, just want to let you know, for your reference in the show overview, there is a link to the epic Alan slide, I call it. That's a snapshot of the Working Together principles practices, and management system. And it's from our March 10th show. Um, don't worry if you miss that show because he'll give you some highlights. And then uh, we can't wait to hear how the Mulally clan got involved. So, Alan, back to you. Well, it's, it's a pleasure to get a chance to uh, share a little bit more about uh, my experiences uh, serving and uh, working together. And as you mentioned, Molly, on our last show, and uh, you also have the a slide that shows an overview of my working together principles and practices and management system I've used over the years at Boeing and Ford is a good reference for all of our uh, listeners. And what I might do is just review the highlights of that and what we talked about uh, the last time. Then, um, per your request, I'd be glad to share with you how we actually used a version of that working together management system with our family and our family is uh, Nikki, who I've been uh, so fortunate to be married to for 50 years this year, and our five children. So starting with our working together principles and practices, these were uh, principles and practices I used uh, with uh, skilled and motivated teams uh, over the years at Boeing and also while I was serving uh, at Ford. And I was honored to uh, be on the design team and contribute to every Boeing airplane, the 707, the 727, the 737, the 747, the 757, the 767, I love saying these. Mm-hmm. And then I was asked to be the chief engineer and then the program manager for the 777 airplane. And as a CEO of Boeing Commercial Airplanes, I helped launch the 787. And... Um, if you look at all the seats that are flying today around the world, the, the vast majority of them are in uh, Boeing airplanes. So it was so fun to serve, uh, helping create and support these airplanes because they get people together around our world so we can find out that we have more in common than we're different and we can choose to work together for the greater good. So commercial airplanes are very sophisticated, as we all know, with very, very high standards and requirements for performance and safety, reliability, and maintainability. And an average airplane has uh, around 4 million parts, and they fly uh, safely halfway around uh, the world, taking people where they want to go point to point and nonstop. 
So over the years, um, working together became just the most important thing to create these airplanes on a schedule that meets all of the requirements and then deliver them to the airlines and the traveling public uh, on schedule five years uh, in advance. And so uh, these principles and practices are the way we work together, both the process for working together, but also the expected behaviors that we had for all the participants, uh, all of the stakeholders were included. So on our slide that you referenced, uh, the first one is uh, people first, and, and I that's surrogate for love them up. I mean, the talented people around the world that are working to create these fabulous products and to know, uh, for them to know how important this is and how important their contribution is and how much it's appreciated is just so important. We always include everyone, all the stakeholders, the traveling public. We include their thoughts, the airlines, the employees themselves, our suppliers, uh, the bankers, the investors, uh, the communities in which we operate, and all of our uh, suppliers operate. So everybody's included, actually represented on the leadership team uh, to uh, review the plans and the progress and uh, create these great products. Compelling vision uh, comprehensive strategy and relentless implementation is the next element of working together and in that every airplane program, uh, there's a compelling vision for the airplane. Is it short range? Is it long range? Is it going to fly polar routes? And of course, ever improving uh, fuel efficiency and CO2 reduction and, and maintainability and reliability. And so it's important to have a comprehensive strategy uh, for uh, delivering this vision for the airplane and then a relentless implementation plan. And the strategy includes not only the technical strategy, but the working together strategy and also the financing strategy and all of the other aspects of creating and operating these great products. On the relentless implementation, we used to call our uh, relentless implementation the business plan review. And that was fundamental basic program management as it moved into managing the airplanes and also in the business. And every week, the entire leadership team would meet Molly to review the vision, the strategy, and the plan, and also assess how we're doing on the plan and identify the areas of special attention. So it's really important that we have clear performance goals, that we have one plan, that we use facts and data because we love everybody's opinion, but we really want to know what each member of the team is, the data they're looking at, to see why they're concluding what they, they are from the facts and data. So, because then the data really does set us free because now we know we're working on the right issue. And so the next element is that everyone knows the plan, the status of the plan, and the areas of special attention. And we actually color code the items. Every member of the leadership team every week will show their contribution to the plan, whether it's uh, engineering, manufacturing, procurement, finance, uh, communications, and then also they'll status how it's going because there's always uh, surprises and things that don't go exactly per plan. And so they'll color code it uh, green for it's on plan, yellow, uh, they have an issue, but they have a, a solution in mind, and red that they have a new issue and they're working on the solution. And we want to, of course, include the, the reds and the yellows as gems because we want everybody to be able to know what the status is so that we can work together to solve the reds and the yellows and turn them into green. 
course, the attitudes are really important. Propose a plan, positive, find a way attitude. Um, it's almost like a, a Henry Ford quote, Molly, where if you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. So from the leader throughout the whole organization, uh, expect the unexpected, expect to deal with it, and do it by respecting each other, listening to each other, helping each other, appreciating, appreciating each other. Emotional resilience is the next one where what that really means is trust the process of working together. We've agreed on why we're together as an organization, what we're trying to accomplish for the good of, of, the, of the greater good. And uh, we're going to use this process knowing that we're going to run into issues, but we're going to figure them out together. So every time we find a new issue, we go right back up the top, make sure everybody's included, make sure we are looking at the facts and data, and then we're working on them together. The last one, which um, is just so neat, is uh, have fun, enjoy the journey, and each other. And I've never, I've never, every day I, I wake up and, and appreciate how fortunate I've been to be asked to serve to create these great products to get people together around the world and to work together with such talented people to make it happen. Now, one corollary to this, Molly, is never a joke at anyone's expense. And the reason is that uh, people will go along with the joke. Uh, just to get along, but it's never funny. And the reason it's so important not to have any kind of humor or jokes at the other's expense is it won't be a it won't be a safe environment. And if it's not safe, people are not going to be a victim, and then we're not going to know what the real situation is. So we can turn those reds to yellows, uh, to greens. So that's the fundamentals of working together that we uh, reviewed. And and then to your next question about <laughs> family. So when Nikki and I got married, we started to uh, have our, our children. Uh, I realized as a, as a program manager and a, and a leader of, of creating these products that uh, we need to have a business plan review at our house. And I kept trying to convince Nikki that this would be really beneficial. You know, we'll come together around a vision and a strategy and a plan and, and we'll meet regularly and identify the areas that need special attention and, and help each other and, uh, accomplish uh, why we're all together and uh, individually and collectively. And she just couldn't get her head around a business plan review. So I then switched over to, well, why don't we call it a family meeting? And uh, she said, well, let's, what would we do in the family meeting? She said, well, I said, well, well, first of all, we'll uh, review our, our vision for the family and our strategy and expected behaviors. We'll have a process of meeting every week and do all the things that we need to do together to help each other out, including um, getting the house back in order and getting the laundry done and, and uh, going on the schedule for the next week and stuff. So she thought that uh, was very interesting. And so we started that out. And we started when they were around oh, four or five years old and getting into kindergarten. And, of course, the younger ones, as they came along, they wanted to be part of it anyway, so they even joined even earlier. And so our agenda went like this, Molly. So we came back from church on Sunday morning, and the first agenda item of the family meeting was that we'd all go around the house and we'd pick up our own stuff, wherever it was, because after a week, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be put away. And we put them back in the cubbies, and then we'd also take them back to our room. Then the next agenda item was we would um, take all of our laundry, go back to our rooms, take all of our laundry down to the laundry room, 
we have designated uh, people to do the laundry for that week, and we do all the laundry. Then following that, our next agenda item is we would bring, everybody would help bring the laundry back down to the kitchen, put it out on the dining room table, and then we sort all of the laundry, including the socks. And as we all know, that sorting socks was set for seven people in the house is not something you really want to do by yourself, nor it doesn't seem like a very compelling vision, but it's really easy if you have the people that, that know and own the socks. It can happen really fast. So we sort all of the laundry, and then the next agenda item, we take, we, we take it back to the room, then they bring down their calendars, and they have a you know, spiral notebook with, a, with, a count, with their calendar, and and then uh, we sit around the dining table, and we'd go around the room, and everybody would share what they have coming up in the following week. And, uh, and of course, we're uh, interested in that to be able to support each other, but also um, each member could then identify the help that they needed uh, in, during the week. So they need taxi cab service or cheerleading support or a t- parent-teacher conference Whatever they needed, uh, we'd go around the room, identify that, and then we'd all volunteer for our parts and to help each other. And I would do the same thing myself, and then I would take my items back to uh, work at Boeing, and I'd just build it into my schedule. So I'd, I'd have a, a design review or a manufacturing review or what me with a customer, but also have all of the things that I had committed to to help and support the family. So... I'd be there, and I wouldn't be there, but everybody knew exactly where I was because my, my calendar was very visible uh, to everybody. And remember, we're starting this, and they're in kindergarten, and so they're, they're getting really good at this, identifying, writing it down, and making notes and stuff like that. And so then the next item was very, uh, turned out to be very interesting as I got older because uh, giving our, after the reviewing each week our, our vision for the family and what we wanted to do individually and collectively to make a contribution and serve, then uh, we also then shared with each other uh, anything that we'd be doing in the next week that might have a positive or a negative impact uh, on the family because we're all uh, interdependent and related. And so that that really uh, made a major contribution because there are a lot of things that just didn't, negative things that didn't happen because we were holding each other accountable for sharing it ahead of time so that we could, you know, talk about it and, and help each other. Now, it didn't, it didn't uh, eliminate everything that, that uh, we do as we grow up, but it sure uh, created a wonderful, wonderful uh, responsibility and accountability, not only to each other, but uh, for the greater good of our, of our family. So, the, um, so that, that worked really well. We got through all of the agenda items. And then, oh, and the last one was that, we go around the room and if and we review the behaviors and is there anything that um, any one of us is doing that we could improve our behaviors and, and on our commitment to how we're going to work together and of course that started out a little rough when they were when they were younger but they <laughs> got very good uh, of turning them of saying it skillfully uh, as you as you uh, are pioneering. Because it's a skill to share, you know, I'm, you really hurt my feelings because we had an agreement you're going to pick me up or support me on this. And so they not only uh, communicated and, and helped each other, but they also learned to do it in a very uh, positive, can-do uh, way. So as they got older and, and we 
and we continually get together two or three times all together around uh, each year. And, and it seemed like every time we got together at Molly, everybody would, would have a comment or want to talk a little bit about the family meeting, the funny things that happened, and, and also the commitment that they made to doing it. And so finally I asked them one time, well, did you, did you really en- enjoy it as much as it sounds? And I said, well, it was, it, it was, it was fun, but it was, it was very effective. And, um, and we really, uh, we really appreciated doing it, but it did take a big commitment. And I said, well, uh, why, why did you do it? If, if you thought it, it uh, maybe it was too big of a commitment. They said, and one of the kids said, so dad, do you remember the last agenda item on our family meeting? I said, you know, I don't. What was it? And I said, well, that's when you passed out the allowances. Of course we had to attend and support the family meeting. So so my summary of, of uh, working together with the family is that uh, it wor- working together works, whether it's just yourself, whether it's your family, whether it's a small group, whether it's a profit or it's a nonprofit. The same thing, I, this process I used when I went to Ford to, not only help save Ford, but create an exciting, viable, and, and profitably growing Ford for the good of everybody. And and it's really based on coming together, uh, including everybody, the diversity of all of the stakeholders, and agreeing on what we want to accomplish, a plan for achieving it, and then having this relentless implementation plan of meeting every week, reviewing the plan with all the participants, and identifying the areas of special attention, and then working together to turn the reds to yellows and to green and enjoying the satisfaction of individual and collective achievement. What do you think? That is beyond spectacular. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I absolutely can imagine listeners thinking, we need that in our family. Um, So many questions. You know, you've got the five. What is the age range in the kids, Alan? They are now uh, 32 through 42. So you had a 10-year. So I'm wondering, as they were growing up, was there the was there kind of mentoring up as well as mentoring down? I'm, I'm just I'm seeing maybe a little easy, much easier for you and Nikki because the kids are kind of self-organizing a bit. Was that something that came out of well, this? Well, that's Molly. That's a great uh, a great observation and comment because. Um, it really is such a reliable process that that's exactly what happened is that um, you're serving and also you're benefiting from being served by working together. And so um, the more experience that the older ones got, of course, they could not only share it, but the younger ones could see it. And there is, you know, it's one thing to write down these principles and practices and, and but it's another one to live them, to be, to be a working together person, which, uh, you know, starts with uh, humility, love, and service and lifelong learning, continuous improvement. So one of the most fabulous things about it was that they were learning from each other. And uh, also, uh, Nikki and Alan really became more like coaches and facilitators. And, uh, and of course, we were going to live these values also. So that turned out to be a real accelerator of working together to have that diversity, not only of boys and girls, but of the age group and all the diversity of the activities that they were doing um, and be able to use a reliable process for working together and 
a reliable set of behaviors that we're going to, the way we're going to treat each other and expect to be treated and hold ourselves accountable together for following the process and the behaviors. And besides that, no one wanted to, you can imagine, besides the, besides the, uh, allowances, no one wanted to miss a meeting because you're going to learn everything that's going on in everybody else's life. And you're going to not only enjoy that, but you're going to learn a lot from it. Oh, it's so wonderful. Okay. Without, you know, <laughs> breaking any confidence, I am curious as I bet other listeners are about this, the behaviors that might positively or negatively impact the family over the week that you might be contemplating. So anything that you can share about maybe what came up and how you, you know, made some diving catches to prevent some of the uh, mishaps that kids might get themselves into? Well, that's another, that's another great question. And uh, the the biggest ones were how the activities that they were going to select to do and the behaviors uh, and the attitudes that they were going to bring to them. And so all of the interpersonal relationships that they have, uh, instead of uh, us not knowing altogether, is everybody's got a very good uh, um, look at all of the activities that each, each of us were doing, how we were approaching it, the things that were working well in those relationships and those activities, and the things that were not, and even more importantly, uh, what what was each of us doing to deal with the areas of our activities or our relationships that weren't going well? And it's back to your saying this skillfully again, which is I just I just applaud you so much for your leadership in in helping people really learn how to say it skillfully because it's it's not just saying it; it's the way you think about each other and the way you think about the relationships and how we're always going to. Uh, work on it from a positive, lifelong learning, continuous improvement. And, of course, doing this together was just the all-time enabling learning environment for all of us. So mainly around what they were doing, the activities, the things that weren't going well with those, either individually or collectively, what the people are doing it with. And then how could uh, we take responsibility for making every situation uh, that might not be going well how can we take responsibility for helping make um, make that activity uh, positive and, and move it forward? I love that joint um, that collective success. It's like my we're all part of the problem and we're all part of the solution coming together. I, you know what well, fortunate kids, my Molly, God, <laughs> Molly, that, Molly. That's really true because you think about an organization um, and it's a family. It's not. <laughs> Back to it's not a business plan review, but it's a you came together collectively. Uh, you've agreed on what you want to accomplish, and you agreed on how you want to do it, and how you want to be treated. And so, it's it's a responsibility not just to your mom or your dad or to yourself, is that you are serving something that's bigger than yourself, and and it's the the collective objectives of having a family and and, and every member of the family individually and collectively serving the, the greater good. Everyone's going to pick a different way of doing that. But that fundamental that you're serving more than working for one person or, or uh, you're either you're working for the organization and what it is trying to accomplish and you're working to support each other. And I can't think of anything 
uh, that's more beneficial for for all of us, whether it's in our our uh, our personal life, our family life, our work life, our community life, uh, is the ability the ability to be to work together to be part of the solution, and that's that's the future of leadership uh, in the world going forward. I think. Yeah, you have said it. You are an early early on that program. Um, can we loop back to the early days? So I'm getting the, this was Alan's idea. Alan was all about it. Alan figured out that he could change the wording and Nikki maybe would go with it. So, so when did it become, you know, it's kind of the Alan show. I can imagine, well, you know, dad's a big figure. He says, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. How did it evolve to the yeah. Alan and Nikki show? I'm really curious about the dynamic between the two of you. Sure. And I would, uh, uh, in my answer, I'm going to share with you is that, uh, it went from Alan to Alan and Nikki to Alan, Nikki, Chris, uh, Tim, Amanda, Molly, Peter, uh, a family meeting. I'll, I'll share with you uh, why. So um, one thing is that uh, once you start doing this, uh, because it's a very reliable process and you're doing it every week, it you become very good at it, uh, meaning that you become you not only get the jobs done, but you also do it with ever increasing efficiency uh, because you learn everybody learns how to how to do, how to do it more efficiently because you do it over and over again and so very quickly i moved from uh, to, from a leadership point of view even though i started it and they're the same principles that we just talked about um, and i they were the ones that we talked about that you have on your uh, overview and so it moved very quickly to me uh, not having to explain them because everybody started to understand all of those principles and practices about listening to each other and helping each other. And so it got to, it got to be that I moved to more like a facilitator, more like a coach, as opposed to uh, teaching everybody what these meant because they were learning them, they were doing them, they were getting better at it. And then, uh, of course, Everyone is participating. So everybody, we're going around the table for all of these agenda items, and every person is talking. Everyone is doing their part, of either doing the plan or sharing their thoughts, but very organized, and everybody's participating. And so uh, very quickly, uh, it was all of us together taking responsibility for this. And then one thing we added uh, was that as they got a little bit older, we would give as as they uh, were uh, developing their their skills. We would give each one of them a chance to facilitate the meeting. So it wasn't me now every time, which turned out to be phenomenal because they they learned how to do it. They learned how to facilitate where they were now had a leadership role in addition to their part. And, and they they now well the neat thing about this is they're all grown and they have their families and. And they're all doing they're all doing their version of the family meeting, and they they tell me the reason they can do that is that they had a chance to not only watch it and be it and, and learn it, but a chance to do it themselves to be a facilitator and a coach. Wow, what <laughs> that is an amazing <laughs> that is just so amazing, and I love for the folks that say it skillfully to hear all voices, including the unpopular one that you're grooming, regardless of your you know age in this family, you know, you're contributing. And that's just so amazing. And I can imagine for the youngest, really a confidence builder, right? Because here you are, you know, with oh. all the bigger kids, 
right? Absolutely. And Molly, that say it skillfully. Um, so you, you just imagine um, meeting every week, same way, same way as the leadership team in business. Um, you're meeting every week. You can't be an idiot. You cannot attack people. You can't make fun of people. I mean, it just wouldn't work, especially when you, you've agreed to these principles and practices and um, you, you would feel so uncomfortable. And just to show you how powerful this is, you can't do this with your family because you can't. But what I'm going to tell you is that at sometimes only years of going forward, there'd be a senior leader on the team that, that they didn't grow up uh, with this kind of a reliable process they would have to follow and also a commitment to these kind of behaviors because these are really fundamental behaviors about how we each want to be treated and what and the way we should treat each other. So uh, I've had a few people over the years that, that would, would go after each other. They would violate. I remember one person that was one of the smartest people I've ever met. And they, um, in every business plan review, they would... Um, use that to go after somebody and because they thought they knew more than that person or they, this person needed to understand better, but do it in a very aggressive way, not a, not a, a nurturing, um, uh, loving, supportive way. And um, so I'd sit down with them, um, follow them up to their office and say, you know, uh, these are principles and practices and, and let's talk about what, the way you acted today. And a little bit of command and control, a little bit arrogant, um, not not seeking to understand before you seek to be understood. And so um, we need you need to think about this because this is the way this is the commitment we made to each other. And the person would say, uh, "Well, I don't know whether I can do this, Alan. This is not the way I grew up. This is you. I, I know I'm more command and control and top down and." not participative, and I said, remember why we're doing this. I mean, this is a very, very competitive world, and we need the hearts of all of our employees uh, in addition to their minds. We need not only a smart organization, but a smart and a healthy, a safe organization where people know the plan, they know the areas need special attention, and they're helping each other. That's how we're going to be, that's going to be our competitive advantage is this working together. And the person would say, well, I know, and I don't know whether I can do it. And I said, well, you, you really need to decide. And, and also, if it doesn't work for you, it's okay. And you could see their eyes light up, Molly. It's okay. <laughs> like, because I'm this dynamite functional expert that I get a pass. It's okay. I can just be the way I am. And I said, well... No, not really. Uh, what I mean by it's okay is it's okay for you to decide that this doesn't work for you and that you're going to move on. And I know you're going to be happier. Um, the team's going to be happier. I'm going to be happier because the team is happier. And it really is okay. We still love you. Uh, that's the number one principle. You're a human being. and and But this is the way we're going to work together. And... Um, and no one can be uh, bigger or more important or whatever than our commitment 
to functional excellence, but also to a process of working together, including the behaviors. And people ask me that a lot, um, Molly, about uh, that seems kind of harsh. Well, it's not harsh because if they, if they also have people that have come back and said, okay, I, I want to do it. And what I know, and we help them. I mean, if it, we'll help them on, our teammates will help them. If you need some uh, coaching, uh, a partner will, will help. And every time, Molly, when they move into the light and they start to operate this way, it, it's so satisfying to not only make your technical contribution, but also make a contribution to an organization to help it be even more effective. But it's based on, on respecting and helping and, and appreciating uh, each other. And you never go back. Once you're in this environment, uh, people that have finished an airplane program or business and they moved to somewhere else and, and they'll, they'll call me and say that that once you know what this feels like and how right it is and, and how effective it is, that you're never going to be treated uh, like a victim again and you're going to do whatever you can to find this kind of environment to uh, serve him. You know something? It's, it's amazing. It's so compelling and um Thank you for your leadership to lead the world this way. Uh, we could keep we could keep going. I want to wrap on um, one of the uh, so many things I've learned from you, but one of the biggest uh, and one of your life lessons is that the purpose of life is to love and be loved in that order. <laughs> and uh, I know that you're going to write a book about this family thing because I think a lot of people are going to be like, "Come on, Alan, you got to get out of the business thing. You got to write about the family thing." <laughs> Um, but I know our um, idols, Francis Hasselbein and Marshall Goldsmith and Sarah yeah. Arthur wrote a book and they, they reached out to you um, to write the foreword. The book is called Work is Love Made Visible. Um, yeah. And the question they posed for the book uh, and that you commented on, and I love your thoughts on is, what is it you see when you look out the window that is visible but not yet seen by others? Well, uh, well, it's fun to share share that story with you because we 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 have a one of our uh, well three of our heroes are are Francis Hesselbein and Marshall Goldsmith and Sarah MacArthur, and they are the authors in the compilation of of work is love made visible. And uh, Francis, you know, Medal of Honor winner, uh, head of the Girl Scouts of America, what she did to with a compelling vision of what the Girl Scouts could be over the years. And, and then she um, was the leader of the Peter Drucker Institute. And Peter Drucker is uh, clearly the father of modern management and leadership. And she always, she and Peter always, uh, everybody always asked them, how do you uh, share these things about leadership and management when, when people, uh, when people didn't see it, what you're talking about before. And that's where she came up, they came up with, uh, we just are looking at, at the world of things that would have uh, value, that, but they just haven't been seen yet. People aren't just doing them yet. So it's almost like they're always looking for how can people work together more efficiently. And so, uh, and of course, the title, Work is Love Made Visible, which 
is just the, one of the greatest uh, quotes of all time because it is our love and because it's what we do, it's what we love doing and and that's how you see what you love and how the people can see what you love because you make it visible. And so they asked me to write the forward to it and I was very humbled by this, of course, because they had all these great thought leaders uh, in the book and so what I so I and I said, well, what you know, what what can I do to add value? And they said, Alan, just just share your life, just share why you are who you are, and and what you do, and 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 how you do it. And so it's this conversation that we're just with this having because obviously this is very effective. Uh, the world could use this kind of working together and leadership, and so just share that. So um, I. So what I said is, so I just started writing forward and sharing what I really thought. And I, so my answer to, uh, when I look out the window, what I see that's visible but not yet seen by others. So my answer was, I see talented and motivated people working together for the greater good. I see three elements that are absolutely critical to the true success of any venture company product or life and that's humility love and service and I see the unique contribution of leaders to hold themselves and their leadership team teams responsible and accountable for creating smart and healthy organizations that are delivering value for the greater good and um and no one had ever asked me that that clearly, and I, I so I, I and I told the rest of my story uh, in in this forward, and I was expecting all the editors and everybody to come back and with a lot of suggestions because, um, well, for improvement, you know, and when they when that when they uh, when I turned it in, they came back. They said, Alan, we don't want you to change one word in this forward uh, because um, it's perfect because it's you um, it's reflecting what you really think it reflects what you all your service and all those airplane programs and and then when we bought McDonnell Douglas and Rockwell and created the largest aerospace company of Boeing and then when I was asked to serve uh, at the Ford Motor Company um, this is the way we operated and and everybody not only did they benefit from safe and efficient transportation around the world, but they also benefited um, from being uh, respected and appreciated and, and loved. Uh, I, when I read the forward, I just, it's just you as close as it could come to you on paper. So the book is amazing for folks. The forward, when I get close to Alan, it's a must read. Um, <laughs> Alan, you know, we appreciate you. I, um, I really oh. can't thank you enough, you know, for your, your generosity, how you share of yourself and share what you've learned. Uh, Alan, you're grateful for your impact. Uh, I think you've done a little bit more than your fair share to make the world a better place. Just saying. Um, and really mostly, and lastly, grateful for your humanity, you know, being the family member, the friend, the leader you are, um, you know, my idol inspiration really with all my heart. Alan, thank you. Thank you. Oh, Molly, I, 
it's fun supporting you, and I, I just, I can't get enough, and everybody can't get enough of say a skillfully because, first of all, you got to come with, with a thought of why that's important because it really is going to enhance working together and all of us being part of the solution. So thank you so much for for your leadership and your service. Okay. Yep. I'm, I'm here for you for the little tiny thing I might do for you. I'm always happy to, and I uh, wish you a great rest of the day and we'll cross paths again soon. You take good care, Alan. Okay. With that. Wow. Uh, I am delighted and I'm grateful for Natasha, who's calling in from India and has been waiting. So, Natasha, thank you for making time this evening. Hey, Molly. So nice to get connected with you today. Yeah, I really appreciate our, uh, we connected actually via LinkedIn. So, uh, share with us, what's your Say It Skillfully uh, scenario today? Sure. Um, so, Molly, what we see right now across the world is the unconscious bias, which has not been really addressed by people. And um, if I walk you through one of the situations, um, Sam took work from home option as a special grant from his workplace to look after his children in home uh, while he ensured that his wife pursued her PhD in France. He saw a marked difference in the attitude of his friends and family towards him. And a lot of people had started either distancing themselves or making subtle fun of him in social gatherings. So do you agree that underlying unconscious bias triggered this behavior from people around him? And how do you see this being addressed? Ooh, unconscious bias. That is a great topic. And thank you for sharing that first. I'm not close enough to, you know, make a um, any answer. You know, that would be Alan's, you know, seek first to understand. Um, I do think that the working from home, the different roles that parents might be playing, I think there's a lot of tradition that people in their minds have established and judged as a right or wrong. And I think that it's um, it's important to just appreciate that, not everybody is as evolved. Um, and I say this to help generate feelings of compassion because I think it can feel very like, oh, how can someone not, you know, what, how could they do that? And while that maybe is a very valid feeling, it doesn't necessarily help us um, come to a better place and, and be more part of the solution. So um, I could certainly see how that could be the case. Um, and I think the opportunity for Sam is as this is going on, um, I think there's a stepping back and it's hard when you're in the situation because it gets very personal. Uh, I think appreciating the fact that let's just say this is, you know, maybe he's the first person. Um, so when these things are happening to be able to, if you've heard me say shared reality, help the, the broader team, for example, um, acknowledge what's going on. And, you know, I'm not sure how obviously Sam handled it, but let's just say he had a special grant. And rather than tuck away and say, oh, I have the special grant, just work with the leader and say, you know, I, I think it would be really great to share with the team that we're doing this and why um, and how we think it helps the group, um, that I'm committed to doing the work that I'm going to do, um, just as if I were here, and to, to put it out in the open for everyone, you know, very transparently. Um, and it may seem counterintuitive, but I think at the same time, it helps people appreciate um, that the workplace is evolving, 
Sam's trying this out as a first person. You can think of it as almost a guinea pig. We're here to support. Sam's going to do his job. We want to help Sam be successful, as we just heard Alan say. Um, So I think that that might be a way to set it up earlier on so that people aren't perhaps making up on their own why they think this happened. Who knows if someone's resenting Sam or otherwise, you know, how come I didn't ask? Sam beat me to it. Who knows what kind of uh, emotions are coming up? So let me pause there. How does that land for you? Uh, Sure. That sounds good. Um, What I also see, and again, I would need your views here, Molly. Um, Why a lot of organizations are working towards practices and policies which uh, kind of make uh, diversity and inclusiveness uh, as part of this, Uh, somewhere I think the underlying challenge of addressing uh, unconscious bias which comes from the society, from the external world back into the corporate Um, I think that is where the challenge still lies for the HR professionals and the organizations to address it. And and I think somewhere that got cascaded in Sam's case as well. So what are your views in terms of the best practices or some initiatives that uh, organizations can take or the HR professionals can take to do a mindset shift for this unconscious bias? Oh, I love this. I love that you're bringing this up. And I, and I have to say, it really does play directly into this, say it skillfully, uh, capability. And I think this education is, is really a starting point. And I think, as you heard, Alan, you know, assuming positive intent, people aren't trying to derail other people, make them look better or otherwise. Perhaps there are some that are out there. I'm not trying to be naive about it, but generally speaking, go in with this positive intention. And so from HR, it's not like these are bad people. It's like, look, we need to help everyone, you know, see, we heard that just previously, Alan, see the same thing. So educating on what unconscious bias is and giving examples and, and people will say, oh yeah, yeah, I get it. I don't, I don't do that. So if you can create real-time examples in the workplace that are a bit shocking, like, oh my gosh, you know, someone walked in, um, doesn't look, looks disheveled or whatever, you don't think that they could possibly be working there, right? I mean, so just trying to create a little glimmer of awareness, huh, I might have unconscious bias. We're not making you wrong. We're not making anyone wrong if we have it. In fact, let's normalize it. We all have unconscious bias. So if you start there, right, there's no, we're not better or worse. We're all part of the problem. We all have unconscious bias. The opportunity is how can we become aware of it first and foremost? And by that meaning, I might be aware, but you might help me become aware. And that way we're in it together because no one wants to be unaware that they have unconscious bias, right? So I think that, that energy um, and that commitment to think about the behaviors is a starting point. Forget even what, which particular bias you're talking about. Does that make sense? So that's kind of the foundation. And then you start to um, provide the opportunity for people to say, we're in it together. If you see something that you think might be, um, here, here's how you might say it. Not, oh, Natasha, you, had, you showed unconscious bias. Natasha, is there something that I could bring up? I think um, may have happened that might not be something you had wanted. Is, oh, yes, it's okay. Great. Natasha, I observed this, and I think the impact is that. What do you think, right? And so you're helping people get into conversations, again, getting more skillful without pointing figures, judging, um, creating a win-lose 
good, bad. And I think if you can create that all in it together and be clear, hey, HR, this is all of us. We, we're going to try to lead the way here. So we're, we're owning some of the things that we have. Here are some of the biases that we identified and be open about them and you know, how people felt about them and then how you're addressing them. If you're not sure when we work together, you know, what, what could we do that could help us eliminate this? I'll pause again. How's that landing? Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, so, uh, Molly, if if you were to uh, if you were to highlight two key things that HR and the entrepreneurs should keep in mind while uh, while coming up with their DNI initiatives, um, as you rightly said, dialogue really helps. Um, at the same time, what is it that those two key things that they can do? to ensure that those dialogues are happening. One is that you take the initiative and you say, hey, it's happening and you have a tick in the box. The other is wherein you actually deep dive and look out for initiatives which can keep it in a sustainable way. So what are those two key things that you think of? First thing is the safety factor and everybody owns the safety. So a leader can't say it's safe now. The team has to buy into the fact that we all, it takes courage for us to be vulnerable. It takes courage to say I made a mistake. It takes courage to say, I, I think I have some unconscious bias. So that safety piece and everyone owning that is first and foremost, because people aren't going to say whatever needs to be said without that. And then I think the next piece for me is when people embrace as a behavior, we're all part of the problem, we're all part of the solution. There's no, no one's better or worse. And just realizing that everybody needs to contribute. And so if everyone's not contributing, but you are, your job is to say, hey, let me pause here. Let's just go around and what's going on for people. And the reason that's important is then you're, you're on the same page. You have the shared reality from which you can then decide, okay, is this a particular action we want to take, right? Is this, so work with the team. What if we did this? Is this the highest priority? And when you have everybody realizing I'm, come up, I'm part of the problem at times and I want to be more part of the solution, to me, then, as an organization, it isn't up to one group to decide what are the what are the initiatives. As a whole, we start to realize, you know, what holds us back. What can we t- tick off first? Realizing there's many other things, but let's prioritize first things first. How's that? Awesome. Sounds good. From everything that we chatted about, what's your own mm-hmm. top takeaway? Sure. Um, I think it all starts with the individuals at workplace and. Uh, the more you encourage those conversations without being judged or, or being pointed out uh, would bring in a lot of comfort and safety for the people to bring in the difference and the mindset shift for the unconscious bias. Great. That's awesome. I appreciate your calling in. You know how to reach me. If I can be of more help, you let me know and please keep me posted. Uh, and most of all, Natasha, thank you for being part of the solution. Okay, quick thing here. Heidi has been waiting patiently. Heidi, thank you for joining me. And perhaps you can share your situation. And we'll, we'll fit it in today. Sure. Hi, thank you um, for connecting with me again. Um, you and I had a conversation recently where I asked for some sage advice. And you participated. And I was so grateful. And I wanted to kind of give you an update. Um, would you like me to kind of go through the scenario yeah, quick, quick thing, because I want to make sure we fit it in, and then I want you to, to share this, because I think it's super inspiring. Okay. Um, so we, I had contacted you because I'm a 
in addition to my full-time job, I am a keynote speaker on the issue of breast cancer. And I have been asked by several different groups if I would speak about a particular type of breast cancer, which is triple negative. And I trying really hard to make sure that I extend the microphone and not just take it myself, but put the focus where it needs to be, and that is on women of color because they're disproportionately affected by this disease. I have repeatedly said, no, no, here's a list, however, of five women who would be wonderful speakers, um, and they don't look like me. They are, they are women of color. They're, they're elegant, and they're eloquent, and they'd be perfect. Each time I was told no. So I spoke to you, and you said, try this approach. First, and encourage the, the people who are hosting these events to see the value in having other voices and how that would benefit society as a whole. And then don't say, I refuse to do it, but say, I'd love to. May I please include um, this highly qualified person um, to, to share the stage with me? And so I just wanted to give you a follow-up. Like literally the very day after you and I spoke, um, I presented um, your solution, your, your elegant solution, and it was resoundly approved. Like they were so enthusiastic and so excited and it, it kind of bolstered my spirits. And so I tried again two days later with another uh, group that had asked me to connect and I did the same thing. And they said, yes, absolutely. We'd love to have people join. So um, your, your Say It Skillfully um, tools really have helped me to learn to look at the situation in a different way. You know, the, kind of the, the common thought is send the elevator back down and make sure you get everybody up. But the thought is sometimes you have to get in the elevator and push the buttons and, and help the ride along a little bit because it's not just going to happen by itself magically. We have to be, like you said, we have to be willing to relinquish it. But if we need to stand there and, and like hold hands at the same time, then let's do it. Awesome. I am cheering for you, Heidi. Awesome. I just <laughs> appreciate your willingness to go there. I mean, that's what it takes. It takes some courage to put on, uh, you try something different. So I'm cheering for you. I, we're out of time, but you know how to keep, keep in touch with me. And, um, and thank you most of all for being part of the solution. And uh, thank you for tuning in. That's a wrap. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Reflect on your top takeaways. And no, I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out SayItSkillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 